Hello, everyone, and welcome to the September 28th edition of the Workup Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Let's get started with our litigation report. Contreras Acurio Corporation owns and operates the Carina's Mexican Seafood Restaurant. The restaurant employed Rian Angelina Cruz as a server. After working an evening shift, Cruz was fatally injured in a single-car rollover accident. Cruz left behind a young son who filed a lawsuit against Contreras Curiel for wrongful death. He alleged Cruz became grossly intoxicated during her shift at the restaurant based on its practice of allowing and encouraging servers to drink alcohol with restaurant customers. Contreras Curiel moved for summary judgment on the grounds that the claims were barred by the workers' compensation exclusivity. But the trial court denied the motion. However, the Court of Appeal granted the petition for a writ of mandate in the unpublished case of Contreras Acurial Corporation v. Superior Court and directed the trial court to vacate its order denying the motion and enter an order granting it. Workers' compensation exclusivity is founded on a presumed compensation bargain pursuant to which the employer assumes liability for industrial, personal injury, or death without regard to fault in exchange for limitations on the amount of that liability. Exclusivity will not apply where an employer engages in conduct that is outside its proper role as an employer or that has a questionable relationship to the worker's employment. Such conduct includes certain intentional torts and criminal acts, as well as causes of action whose motive element violates fundamental public policies of the state. The evidence here, viewed in the light most favorable to her son, shows that Contreras Curiel allowed and encouraged its servers to consume alcohol with customers during their shifts. While this conduct may have been reckless and appears to violate state alcoholic beverage regulations, it is akin to other conduct that creates or exacerbates workplace hazards. It is not the type of intentional tort or criminal act that removes an employer's conduct from the scope of workers' compensation exclusivity. Nor do the claims incorporate a motive element that violates a fundamental public policy of this state, such as racial or gender discrimination. And a California federal court ruled that exclusive remedy applies to a COVID-19 tort action. This illustrative case of Brooks v. CoreCivic of Tennessee arises in the employment context and asks whether the workplace conditions inside a detention facility were so unsafe and unhealthy that the plaintiff, Erica Brooks, who had no reasonable alternative except to resign, resulting in her wrongful constructive termination from her employment. Her employer, CoreCivic, is a private operator of correctional facilities with contracts or services with the United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement and the United States Marshals Service. She worked for them as a detention officer at the Ote Mesa Detention Center until her resignation on April 12, 2020. 
She alleges that her employer failed to adequately respond to the COVID-19 pandemic and lists several examples and claims these allegations support her lawsuit for wrongful constructive termination, as well as claims for negligent supervision and intentional infliction of emotional distress. She brought her claims to federal court based on diversity jurisdiction, and thus California law applies. The employer moved to dismiss the complaint. It argued that Brooks has not pled facts supporting the elements a wrongful, constructive termination, or negligent supervision, and that the negligent supervision and intentional infliction claims are barred by workers' compensation exclusive remedy. The court ruled that the plaintiff may state a constructive discharge claim based on an alleged failure to maintain a safe work environment. The court went on to say, that although pandemics themselves are generally uncommon events, that does not mean the employer's response to the pandemic falls outside the risk inherent in the employment relationship. On the contrary, one would expect employers to have some type of protocol in place to deal with this kind of catastrophic event. This is especially so considering the defendant is engaged in the operation and management of detention facilities, which are particularly susceptible to the spread of infectious diseases, such as COVID-19. However, because the obligation to provide a safe and healthy workplace is inextricably part of the compensation bargain, the plaintiff's negligent supervision and intentional infliction of emotional distress claims are barred by the workers' compensation exclusivity. Accordingly, the court granted the motion to dismiss those claims. Specifically, the court granted the motion as to plaintiff's claims for negligent supervision and intentional eviction of emotional distress, but denied the motion as to plaintiff's wrongful constructive termination claim. Pharmaceutical company Gilead Sciences, based in Foster City, California, has agreed to pay $97 million to resolve claims that it violated the False Claims Act by illegally using a foundation, Caring Voice Coalition, as a conduit to pay the Medicare co-pays for its own drug, Letiaris. The anti-kickback statute prohibits pharmaceutical companies from offering or paying directly or indirectly any remuneration, which includes money or any other thing of value, to induce Medicare patients to purchase the company's drugs. The government alleged that Gilead used Caring Voice Coalition as a conduit to pay the copay obligations of thousands of Medicare patients taking Letarius, which is approved to treat pulmonary arterial hypertension. Gilead routinely obtained data from Caring Voice Coalition detailing how many Letaris patients CVC had assisted, how much CVC had spent on those patients, and how much CVC expected to spend on those patients in the future. Gilead then used this information to budget for future payments to Caring Voice Coalition to cover the co-pays of patients taking Letarius 
but not of patients taking other manufacturers' similar drugs. To date, the Department of Justice has collected over $1 billion from 11 pharmaceutical companies, United Therapeutics, Pfizer, Acetylon, Jazz, Lundbeck, Axelion, Astellas, Amgen, Sanofi, Novartis, and Gilead that allegedly use third-party foundations as kickback vehicles. The department also has reached settlements with four foundations, Patient Access Network Foundation, Chronic Disease Fund, the Assistance Fund, and Patient Services Incorporated, and a pharmacy, Advanced Care Scripts Incorporated, that allegedly conspired or coordinated with pharmaceutical companies on these kickback schemes. And our crime report. Earlier this month, the Beverly Hills Police Department discovered that criminals were fraudulently obtaining EDD benefits loaded onto EDD debit cards using stolen identities. The monetary value placed on the cards by EDD can be as high as $20,000, and cardholders are able to withdraw up to $1,000 per day per card. Perpetrators have traveled primarily from out of state to obtain these fraudulent EDD cards in California. The suspects often have numerous EDD cards in their possession with other people's identities, along with large amounts of cash. The fraudulent cards are used to lease short-term rentals, rent luxury vehicles, dine at restaurants, and purchase high-end merchandise in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills Police have found 87 people who are allegedly connected to EDD fraud and identity theft in just two weeks. Detectives recovered 181 fraudulent EDD cards with a value of over $3.6 million and also found $466,000 in a case and confiscated seven handguns. Some of those fraudsters have turned informant, showing investigators just how easy it is to defraud the EDD. Some informants actually logged onto a computer and showed how easy it was to log onto the EDD. They were using names of deceased people, people who were incarcerated, using people who have businesses, and pretty much they are going into the computer and selecting the card. Many of those names and the associated personal information were simply purchased online. The Beverly Hills Police Department is working with the FBI and the Department of Labor due to the scope of this fraud. Those arrested did not have weapons on them and were booked for identity theft. However, since it is a nonviolent offense, there is no bail due to coronavirus, so they were all released. Meanwhile, Riverside police detectives are investigating a new scam involving unemployment benefits that are fraudulently obtained when thieves apply for the assistance and then have the benefits mailed to unsuspecting victims' addresses. Innocent victims are completely oblivious to why the unemployment benefits are arriving in their mailboxes. In some cases, the scam has led to confrontations when the thieves go to the victims' homes to try and collect the benefits they claim belong to them. 
23-year-old Lance Stephen Pasilic was arraigned on multiple felony counts of insurance fraud and grand theft after allegedly defrauding his insurer to receive over $8,600 in disability payments. The scheme could potentially have cost the insurer over $55,000 in claim expenses. Pazalik submitted a workers' comp claim for a slip-and-fall injury to his knee that he sustained while working for a land management company in Shasta County. At the time, he was working as a seasonal forestry technician responsible for conducting large surveys to prevent wildfires. His employer's workers' compensation insurer provided him with temporary total disability benefits and treatment to help him return to his job. The insurer instructed Pasolich that he was required to report any additional work or income he earned while receiving disability benefits. Investigators followed Pasolich and observed that he secretly resumed working as a forestry technician, but for a different company and failed to disclose his resumption of forestry work to his last employer. By secretly working while receiving disability payments, Pasolik was able to simultaneously receive disability benefits and work income. 46-year-old Eduardo Medino Ruelas of Sanger was arraigned on multiple counts of felony insurance fraud after allegedly defrauding his employer and Risco Claims Management Company. Officials claim he collected $38,000 in workers' compensation insurance benefits and medical treatment he was not entitled to receive. Ruelas was injured when he was struck by a forklift in 2017 while working at Pitnam Family Farms. As a result of his injuries, Ruelas was placed on temporary disability and did not return to work. He continued with follow-up visits to the doctor, complaining of severe and widespread pain throughout his entire back and most of his body. When it was recommended that he return to work on light duty, Ruelas claimed to be unable to work due to the persistent and severe pain. Ruelas was then caught on video visiting a casino, shopping, watering his lawn, and transferring a large piano keyboard from the trunk of his vehicle into another vehicle. The surveillance footage showed Ruelas participating in activities that contradicted his claims of injury and inability to work. The Fresno County District Attorney's Office is prosecuting this case. Ruelas will return to court on October 19. Two doctors, Suzanne Virgo and Carl Lindblad, were sentenced in a San Diego federal court for participating in a health care fraud scheme that built TRICARE, the health care program that covers United States service members, out of tens of millions of dollars. The two prescribed thousands of expensive compounded drugs to patients they never saw or examined. Dr. Virgo and Dr. Lindblad were each sentenced to 24 and 28 months in custody, split between prison and home confinement. The conspiracy inflicted nearly $65 million in actual losses to TRICARE. 
The health care uh, benefits program relied upon by millions of our military members and their families. As part of this conspiracy, a team of individuals worked to recruit and pay Marines, primarily from the San Diego area, and their dependents to obtain compounded medications that would be paid for by TRICARE. This information was sent to Choice MD, the Tennessee medical clinic that employed Dr. Virgo and Lindbod. The two doctors then wrote prescriptions despite never having examined the patients. Once signed by the doctors, these prescriptions were not given to the straw beneficiaries. Instead, they were sent directly to particular pharmacies controlled by various co-conspirators, most often a small pharmacy, the Medicine Shop in Bountiful, Utah, which filled the prescriptions and mailed the drugs to the patients in California. Virgo and Lindblad authorized nearly 7,000 prescriptions for which their co-conspirators billed TRICARE nearly $90 million. Of this amount, over $65 million were for prescriptions written for straw TRICARE beneficiaries in the Southern District of California. The defendants Virgo and Lindblad are the second and third defendants sentenced in the case. CFK Incorporated, the corporate owner of the medicine shop, was sentenced previously. A nurse practitioner, Candace Craven, previously pleaded guilty, as have the plaintiff recruiters and all await sentencing. Jimmy and Ashley Collins, the owners of Choice MD, were charged by superseding indictments in June 2020, and their case remains pending. And in regulatory news, Cal OSHA has cited six Bay Area employers, including hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, and a police department for failing to protect their employees from COVID-19. Proposed penalties range from $2,060 to $32,000. The employers were cited for not protecting workers from exposure to COVID-19, because they did not take steps to update their workplace safety plans to properly address hazards related to the virus. Cal OSHA claims the Santa Rosa Police Department failed to implement required screening and referral procedures for persons exhibiting COVID-19 symptoms and failed to report to Cal OSHA multiple serious illnesses suffered by employees who contracted COVID-19. A department employee died from COVID-19 after being exposed by another employee who had exhibited signs and symptoms of COVID-19. Cal OSHA did not learn of the fatality until two weeks after the death. Cal OSHA also claims that the Gateway Care and Rehabilitation Center skilled nursing facility in Hayward exposed nurses and housekeeping workers to COVID when it failed to follow requirements for providing necessary personal protective equipment. Sutter Bay Hospital's CPMC Davis campus did not ensure their health care workers in the administrative medical office and security guards in the emergency department wore respiratory protection. In one instant, Incident, a suspected COVID patient 
underwent a medical procedure in the operating room, while medical staff did not have N95 masks or other proper protection. Cal OSHA inspectors allege that the Santa Clara Valley Medical Center's hospital on South Bascom failed to provide effective training for its employees. And the Santa Clara Valley Medical Center on North Jackson Avenue was also cited for failing to provide clear communication to their healthcare workers who were deployed to two skilled nursing facilities. The workers were exposed to COVID suspect and confirmed patients at the Ridge Post Acute and Canyon Springs Post Acute facilities. Neither of the skilled nursing facilities trained the deployed healthcare workers. Kalosha has created guidance for many industries in multiple languages, including videos, daily checklists, and detailed guidelines on how to protect workers from the virus. According to the latest tally by the California Workers' Compensation Institute, the number of independent medical reviews used to resolve California workers' compensation medical disputes fell sharply in the first half of 2020. IMR took effect for all claims in 2013. Thus, the CWCI began monitoring IMR activity in 2014. In its latest review, the Institute tallied more than 70,000 IMR decision letters issued in the first half of 2020, compared to slightly more than 85,000 letters issued in the first six months of 2019. This was a 17.6% decline. While IMR volume was down, a review of IMR outcomes in the first half of this year noted little change. After reviewing the medical records and other information provided to support a disputed treatment request, IMR doctors upheld the UR physician's modification or denial of the service in 88.8% of the IMRs in the first half of this year, compared to 88.2% uphold rate from 2019. As had been the case since IMR was first adopted, Prescription drug requests accounted for the largest share of the January through June IMR decisions, 39.8%. Though that percentage is down from nearly half of all IMR disputes prior to the state's adoption of the opioid and chronic pain treatment guidelines at the end of 2017, and the Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule Prescription Drug Formulary in January 2018. Even with the guidelines and the formulary, opioids still accounted for 29.2% of the 2020 prescription drug IMRs, down only slightly from 30.9% in 2019. Requests for physical therapy, injections, Durable medical equipment, prosthetics, orthotics, and supplies, diagnostic imaging, and surgery together compromised 40% of the IMRs from the first half of 2020, while all other medical service categories combined accounted for 20.2% of the disputed requests. The 2020 uphold rates for the various service categories ranged from 80.1% for psychiatric services 
to 91.3% for DME POS. As in the past, the small number of physicians continued to account for most of the disputed medical services that went through IMR this year. The top 10% of physicians identified in the IMR decision letters accounted for 83% of the disputed service requests during that period, while the top 1%, 97 providers, accounted for 40% of the disputed service requests. And in other industry news, the Travelers Companies announced that it is the first insurance carrier to offer its business customers virtual and on-site ergonomic assessments using artificial intelligence. The new offering combines AI-based technology and ergonomic research to quickly analyze a smartphone video of a worker performing a task and identify movements and postures that could cause injuries. The software then quantifies the risk and produces a report that assists a traveler's ergonomics professional in developing consultative solutions that help keep workers safe. By using AI, travelers can reduce the time spent assessing problems from days to hours, enabling specialists to focus their attention on developing tailored workplace improvements for its customers. Ergonomic assessments can be used to assist businesses of all sizes in establishing processes that enhance workplace safety. Making appropriate adjustments can help reduce the frequency of common injuries and better control workers' compensation costs. To address customers' concerns with offering visitors access to their locations during this challenging period of COVID-19, Virtual options that enable remote ergonomic assessments using smartphone video is another innovative way to help customers maintain high levels of safety as the company operates differently. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts on special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. We also publish our daily news podcast and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarron, Minuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. And please drop by again next week for more news.